You're listening to Screenwriters Need to Hear This with Michael Jamin. Hey everyone, this is Michael Jamin. You're listening to Screenwriters Need to Hear This. I got an excellent guest today. Now, hang on. You, I know her as the mom from the parking lot at the school that our, both our daughters go to. Because <laughs> that's when we used to, we, that's when I first met her, and we used to hang out and talk and smoke cigarettes while the kids were getting ready to come out of class. Uh, but you know her probably as so many things, but probably maybe most famously as Janice from Friends. Uh, we're going to talk all about her amazing career, Maggie Wheeler. Maggie, thank you so much for doing the show. Thank you. A round of applause. Michael. We'll put that in post. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for inviting me to do your uh, show. I'm so happy because you, you, I, I want to hear about screenwriting basically from your end, from like, because you're a, a very successful working actor. Let me talk about some of the things you've done. I'm going to roll through your credits to refresh <laughs> okay. you because okay. you've been doing it so long, you've forgotten all these things. Remind I me. guess, right, remind you uh, of Archer, The Adams Family. I didn't know you did The Adams Family. Uh, Shameless, Marin. I remember that because we worked together on that. Uh, you were Mark's uh, ex wife. Kung Fu Panda. Uh, I'm just skipping around. There's so much. I can't mention it all. Hot in Cleveland. Um, uh, Californication. I didn't know that. We'll talk about that. Curb Your Enthusiasm. Glenn Martin. I remember that one because we were so much How fun. I, that was fun because you can oh, do, you're amazing most. with the voices. So I'll let you talk, Mary. Maggie. I'm talking now. Okay, I'm going sorry. through your I'll, credit. <laughs> I'll be quiet. Forgive me for, speak, for speaking wanna, out of turn. Please continue <laughs> discussing. I want to still talk. I'm done. not done talking about your credits here. Okay. How I Met Your Mother, uh, what a ER, Dr. Doolittle, three, I didn't know that. And obviously Friends, you did a ton of those. Fat Actress, Everyone Loves Raymond, listen to this credits. CSI, Will and Grace, this is crazy, guys. The Parent Trap, where you, you were the mom on that one. You, Ellen, uh, X-Files, uh, Dookie Hauser, Seinfeld, Dream On, which I love Dream On, I didn't know you did that. I mean, you have a ton. Okay, now you can say something. <laughs> okay, I did not play the mother in the Parent Trap. Who were you? Uh, were you Lindsay Lohan? I was Lindsay Lohan, correct. <laughs> I, uh, I'm i very versatile. No, I played the camp counselor, Marva oh, Jr., who gets oh, covered right, in the chocolate and feathers. And Tell me oh, about what, at, what everyone wants to talk about. For, probably first, you're like the most of the famous, the Janice. Tell me, like, when you auditioned for that. Yeah. Did, did you know that was going to be a, recur a recurring role? No, it was a one-shot deal. It was one episode, mm -hmm. single episode, and uh, and the yeah, it said fast-talking New Yorker, and I just thought I know her. She's uh, she's in me all the way. So I just went and I did what I thought I should do. <laughs> See, that's the that's the thing. I, I'm I'm going to tell you this from the perspective of the writer, even though I didn't write on Friends. But this is what I imagine what happened. You they audition if if they had known it was going to be a recurring part, they would have gone out to a big A-list celebrity, right? Correct. And so you came in. You audition for it. You are at the table read, which is the first day of rehearsal, and it's not uncommon for the regular guests, for the regular stars, to not phone it in, but to save it a little at the rehearsal at the first day of the table because they don't want to bring it. But I'm certain you brought it 110, percent and this is what happened. And I wasn't there, but I've worked on enough shows, so this is what happened. The writers, after the table read, they go back to the room and they talk about this, the story, but they also talk about the guest cast because they want to make sure. Do we need to fire this person? Do we need to replace this person? And right. I'm sure they came back, oh, she killed it. She killed it. And then I'm certain after the tape, after the show night, they're like, okay, we're bringing her back. Because Amazing. I mean, you know, I wasn't behind the scenes, so I can't say how the magic happened, but I, I'd love to think that that's what happened. I'm certain that's how, because, and, and this is another thing, it's very rare to find from, my, from where I sit, uh, uh, an actor who really can do comedy that well. And so, and you killed it so much that they brought you back. I'm sure, like I said, I'm sure they didn't think it was a, re a recurring. They they wrote, no. they go, get her back. Let's think of how we can bring her back. Well, 19... I think, I, yeah, however many times all throughout the rest of the show. But, you know, I remember one of the writers telling me somewhere along the line, maybe after the fact, he said, you know, we used to sit there on those late nights when we couldn't break a script and something just wasn't working. And by two in the morning, we'd be sitting there kind of, you know, tearing our hair out and somebody would just say, what about Jan, bring yeah. me back Janice. And that's how <laughs> I kept coming back and coming back, you know, which is amazing. What about Janice? That's perfect. That's per yeah. And so when you, so when you auditioned for it, like, how do you approach a script? I guess I want to know also from the comedy point of view, how do you like, what do you 
what's the first thing you do when you read the part? I think I hear life in a and uh, in, in through my acting work and and in my life as well. I think I hear a little bit through a musical lens, like the music of language, the rhythm of the character. That's what I you know what I find. That's how I find the person that I'm playing. Um, the musicality, because you're also a singer. I know you're big on music. We'll talk yeah, about that. Yeah, I mean, I love music and I love I love singing. And but I, you know, but but I just feel like also because when in my earlier days of studying acting, I was very fortunate to work with Anna Devira Smith. And Anna works in this incredible way. Um, if you know, she she's she's a genius, and she I think she won the MacArthur Genius Grant. But she's really so extraordinary. And and her process in all of her one woman shows, which are based on real interviews, uh, she kind of gave a little bit of that to me as a student of hers in a show that we did early on before she started doing her own big pieces. And so she said, she sent a bunch of us out. She said, go, I want you to go interview somebody that you know, mm -hmm. and then uh, tape it. We all had our little cassette recorders. And then she said, and listen to it. And you'll see that you ask them to tell a story, some something that happened to them in their life. I asked my sister at the time. And they and she said, you'll notice that w there'll be a moment in the story where the pedal hits the metal, you know, the, just the, the all of a sudden the gas is on and their their cadence will change and their rhythm will change and it will accelerate. And that's the moment I want you to pick. And that's the moment I want you to do. And then from there, we did this process of, you know, writing it down word for word, finding a way for our, ourselves to notate those rhythm changes, et cetera, and then really? to recreate that character's kind of awakened moment and i feel like that affected the way that i work a little bit too but so you, you even did that like when you got the sides to audition for like let's say janice you do that for every role you like well i don't know that i do it in such a laborious way but i just uh -huh. think it's an instinctive way like okay so here are the lines and here is the thing she's saying you know the audition scene was oh i got you these socks and i don't remember the exact lines, but I got you these socks, you know, they're Bullwinkle socks, you know, you have them, whatever she says, you can wear them however you want to wear them, mix and match, moose and squirrel, squirrel and moose. And that just, that is just in me, that uh -huh. moment. And I think uh, it was that, it was just the, the hook for her. And then the, oh my God stuff came later and the laugh came once I was on set. That was an uh -huh. organic thing that just developed, in, <laughs> out of the, you know, this I moment mean with Matthew. You really made her an iconic character. You really did. You really, Thank you. you know, and it's so, I, you know, when when an actor does that, it's such a relief. A lot of people don't realize it's like, when we're auditioning, it's different now, obviously, because everything's on tape, but yeah. when an actor comes into the room, and you've done this plenty of times, you audition for producers, and the producers are like this, right? Yeah. And, <laughs> and it's not because we're want to try to intimidate you. It's because please save us. I know Please that. just hit it out of the park so we can stop this fucking process and go home. I know that. I tell that to young actors. Like when I go to talk to acting students and stuff, I tell them mm -hmm. they just want to know you've got it. Yeah. Now, yeah. the problem is, as an actor, it's like there are moments, there are days where you just you wish you had it bottled and you wish you could just kind of toss it back and walk in the room and like, I've got it. But right. so many factors yeah. can interrupt that that flow, you know, if you want it too badly that can be an issue, you know, yep. mm -hmm. somehow you have to kind of wrangle that desire and desperation, like wrap it up and leave it outside the door because people smell that and feel mm -hmm. that. And that feels, doesn't feel safe to the people on the other side of the desk. You know, there just has to be that kind of perfect alchemical uh, embodiment of the character plus like your own ease that allows the, mm -hmm. the, the folks on the other side of the table to go to do that thing that you just, illustrated which is like oh thank you yeah thank you but how did you get into like even before that because you have a lot of many credits before friend, like how did you get into how did you get into act like how did you start you went uh i was a teenager in new york city and i really wanted to act badly and mm -hmm. um and your and mother couldn't talk you out of it my mother she tried <laughs> <laughs> please let me go to professional children's school no please let me go to an acting camp no uh so you know i tried everything i could i in in high school i joined an after school musical theater troupe called the merry mini players that did um, musical theater for kids, original musical theater f by children for children. Oh, wow. And we performed in the basement of the Broadway uh, theater or Broadway hotel. I can't remember where the hell we were. And it was crazy. And so that was sort of my first sort of feeling like I was getting somewhere. And then I used to buy the trades. Oh, and really? in high school, I would cut school and go stand in line behind a, a bunch of 20 somethings and audition for something I had no business 
auditioning for. A, I wouldn't have been able to do it. I mean, they were industrials and, you know, uh -huh. silly things like that, dance auditions, things I was, I mean, I was, I did not belong there, but I was just trying and trying and I was brave and bold and a little stupid. So, you know, that, that was good for me. And then uh, uh, I found a manager when I was in high school. And, really? Uh, in yes. New York? In New York, Muriel uh -huh. Carl Talent Management, and uh, and I went in there and I had to audition. I had to read copies, sing a song, do a thing, and you know it was like if Chris Guest made a movie about <laughs> you know children in in you know performing children. This management company would be you know the illustration of what he would he would create. So anyway, Muriel Carl, I had to audition for her, but I was the only person there without a parent because. My mother said, no effing no. way. I'm not going. I'm not taking you. I don't give it shit. <laughs> whatever, whatever you do, you're on your own. And so all these mothers were in there with like multiple children in matching outfits, you know, sing from Uriel, read from Uriel, do it louder, do it louder. So uh, anyway, I started auditioning professionally and got rejected for every single possible thing. And yeah. then my first professional job was in radio, uh, doing really? voiceover for CBS Records. And uh, I got pulled out of a little, I got, I got booked in a crowd of kids and people just saying, ooh, the Rubenus for some musical group in the, in the 70s. Ooh, the Rubenus, ooh, the Rubenus. And they said, the guy, you know, the engineer said, who's the kid with the low, with the low voice? And I was like, uh-oh, uh -oh, uh -oh. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> and they gave me the spot. And wow. then they kept hiring me back. So I started in radio and doing extra jobs you know i was an i was an extra in commercials and a couple of movies and just but then how did you make the jump to come to california so i uh i when i was 20 something doing you know off 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 broadway whatever everything i could do in new york anything to be busy um yeah. some including summer stock and a whole bunch of other things in between just to keep myself acting um my sister's ex-boyfriend's current girlfriend was working for Lorne Michaels uh, when the year that he left SNL and decided to do a primetime sketch comedy show called The New Show and he was auditioning for The New Show and she reached out to me and asked if I wanted to audition and I said absolutely the answer is yes yeah and then she said okay you need to do six minutes of original stand-up and I locked myself in my bedroom and cried because I just thought, I don't even know how to do that. I don't even know what that is. I can't do, how do I do it? So right. I ended up writing six minutes of stand-up that had a lot of character-driven stuff in it. Mm -hmm. um, stories from my life, you know, just characters from my life. And then I also wrote into it a sketch, a conversation between Julia Child and Jacques Cousteau talking about sea bass and, uh, and him about, you know, the beautiful, uh, you know, undiscovered deep waters and her about cooking it but anyway i don't know I, I did whatever the hell i did and then i auditioned for that show and then they threw me up there to to improv with um with brian doyle murray and and wow. and uh and all these people from sctv it was crazy and i got the job so that was my first real significant professional job right. and when it got canceled i moved to los angeles because i thought this is my moment and i have to take it but was the show shot in LA or was it was in no, New, York? New York? It was in New York. Oh, okay. And so when that was yes. over, I got my license, my little hot license. I also didn't really know what to do with that. And I came out here and, um, and I went to, I, you know, I went about my working life and I lived here for a year and I mm. got one job. I worked on the paper chase. Right. And, um, and it, then I got a call from New York, uh, from Rankin Bass, the creator of all the fabulous Animagic Christmas specials we yeah. all grew up on. And, uh, and they were casting a superhero cartoon and they had, they found out about me from Lorne and, uh, and I flew myself back to New York to audition for that. And I got it. So that brought me back to the city and I did animation for several years in the city before, and in the midst of all that. I ended up making an independent film called New Year's Day. And when that was opening, I moved back here. That's another thing you're so good at. And this probably is because you're a wonderful singer, but it, it's probably because I imagine the two are related because you can do all these voices and you because you can hear them. And obviously, I think it comes right. That, that has to tie into your singing, don't you think? Uh, I guess it's all kind of a, of a piece. You know, I'm not like this, a singer's singer. I can't I don't have some extraordinary range <laughs> or or like golden vocal cords. I'm not a Broadway singer. I'm not a you know, I, 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 I have limitations to my singing voice. Um, mm -hmm. But I do sing and I do direct a large 
a choir here in Los Angeles that I've directed for 17 years called the Golden Bridge Community Choir, and I invite other people to sing. Um, so, you know, it's it's actually it's like it's like my little my little secret plan. Since I'm not a soprano, I just get a lot of other people in the room. I go, okay, you guys sing this part. You do this. You do that. But anyway, right. I, I I do love music, but I've also always loved mimicry from the time that I was little, and so I love voices. I love character voices. I love. Do you practice I, that then? Like, what do you do? I don't know. Do I practice it or do I just go on instinct? I feel like I just go. Because we hired you on Glenn Martin to do, I don't remember what voices, but you're like, oh, she could do all those. You hired me. You asked me, you called me and you said, can you do an Irish accent? Yeah. Because you wanted me to play Flame Bang That's what it was. It was sort but of also, Sinead O'Connor. But that's another thing. When you come in for animation, and people should know this, that we most of the time you get paid to do three voices. Yeah. Because So you have to be able to do more than one voice. Correct. You know? And I did. And then when I got there, you said to me, I don't remember why this happened, but you needed a song and you didn't have it. So I you... wrote the song for you. <laughs> you I sat on the couch. And I was like, you need what? You, you said, these are the lyrics. You know, you, will you write a melody? So right. I did that. And then eventually you hired Chrissy Hine and she came and sang it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was very yeah. cool. Isn't that funny? And she came to the... <laughs> She came in like a rock star. So she came in with a cigarette. And I remember my partner saying, yeah, you're not really supposed to smoke in here. And she's like, yeah, well, <laughs> too bad. Nice for you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but that's, we threw so much on your plate. And you, because like, whatever, we knew you could do it. So you, you do it. That was the most fun. And I actually, I love that character. I really yeah. do. I, really, I love voice. I love voiceover work because I can do anything. I can be a baby. I can be a crone. I can be a tree. I can be an owl. I can be, you know, a bald Irish rocker. We got a couple of animated things on the burner. So maybe hopefully if they go, we'll bring you back in for those. Uh, yeah, I'll tell you more about thrilled. those later. Okay, good. Um, I'm so excited. <laughs> you're already excited. <laughs> Don't excited. get your hopes up. <laughs> you know how these things fall apart all the time. I do. But, I do. Uh, but, but, so, but, okay, so how else do you... I don't know. What is it like then to be like a working actor or someone like you? Because, you know, people know who you are. What's it like on a daily basis? Uh, well, I mean, look, what it looks like on paper is not the same as what it what it is. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, there are so many, in, as you know, there are just these long kind of these valleys. There are huge valleys with no work. So if you kind of create a little map of my career and you put all the you know red pins on the on the dots of my jobs, boy, mm -hmm. I, it looks like I've worked a lot. But there have been obviously incredibly long fallow periods in between. Um, what do you do during those? What like what? What's well, your plan? I mean, I'm I've done so many crazy weird things to sort of you know tied myself over in the in the interim but I have to say you know starting the choir and being a facilitator of, of vocal workshops which I also do at retreat centers and different places like that um, has been a tremendous gift because I have this work that's like really soul driven yeah. and I'm in the company of other people making something happen in the moment you know unlike showbiz where you, you know you're doing it and you're mm -hmm. making it with the family you're with you're all in in it together and then it's done and then there's you know and then there's this period of time before it airs and then once it airs you you're going to hear about you might hear about how it how people respond to it but it's not as it's not direct so so I do something where I'm creative in the moment I'm giving people something in the moment and there and it's and the feedback is coming to me immediately and directly. Right. So I'm really fortunate I have two basically two careers. And then of course I'm a mother, I'm a parent, and I've been raising my my family throughout all those years. I mean, my kids are older now, they're twenty-two mm -hmm. and twenty-seven, so they're not home. Um but I will say, you know, these pandemic years have been some of my busiest years because I I took the choir online. And that mm -hmm. eventually became a more global experience because lots of people joined me from all over the world. And then I also created an event called Together in Song that I ran every Saturday for the first two years, uh, where I hired three other song leader, um, singer, songwriter, musicians to come on with me. And we basically led the world in song every Saturday for an hour. Um, and I had 4,000 people come over the wow. per that period of time. So I, I think that, you know, wow. um, being a creative human being i in a way i you know i know so many people suffered um you know in terms of their work lives or their feeling of purpose during this past couple of years mm -hmm. and for a lot of creative people it was just this 
kind of moment to dive in more deeply and figure out how, mm -hmm. if you're a writer, how you, you know, you can write, if you're a musician, you can make music, if you're, you know, what can you do online to make sure you're connecting with other people? So it, you know, necessity was the mother of invention for me. And I was very busy. Well, first of all, if people want to learn more about that, they can definitely follow you on Instagram. Golden Bridge Choir. Uh, that's else? that's a private Instagram, but they can oh. go to goldenbridgechoir.com. Okay. Um, and uh, and all the information is there, and they can get on my mailing list there. And then anything, anytime I'm doing anything uh, that's open to the public, I will I send out a huge mailing, and uh, people can join me online or they can join me in person, which right. we're not doing so much of yet, but we will be. So here's here's the thing that here's the thing about you. You are truly an like of all the people I know, you are an artist and probably to your mother's like your whole family is artists it's like you really are like your husband is very you know he's a very successful very talented daniel wheeler uh well how how is it installation art how do you describe he does a lot of he's stuff a, he's a sculptor and a maker of all things from you know from small sculptures to installation work to um funerary objects he does collaborative um urn making for people who are either losing a loved one or who are, are, are wow. in the process of dying he he uh he does so many things he also does um kind of uh uh I forget the, I'm not, the word is, is lost on me now, but you know, like he, people, people hire him to make objects and, and, you know, whether it's furniture or sculpture, or all kinds of things. He's very eclectic. Anyway, uh, uh, wheelermade.com for Daniel, if yes. people are interested in going to check that out. But, the reason you know, why I kind of bring it up though, is because so many people are intimidated. Like, am I really going to go into the arts? Like what the hell yeah. am I thinking? But yeah. You do. Everyone in your family does. We do. And I mean, it was, this is it's your an life. Arty, it's an arty family. No one. I mean, you know, I have a daughter who's who's um, just now starting as an actress, mm -hmm. and of course, you don't wish that kind of creative life necessarily on your offspring. Just as my mother did not wish did it for me, and threw herself <laughs> in front of my body frequently to try to slow me down. And she often, you know, and then when I would cry and be so distraught over the whatever the rejections or the lack of opportunity mm -hmm. or whatever she would say i never told you to do this nobody ever told mm -hmm. you you had to do this who told you you had to do this but if you have to do it you do it and if you don't have to do it don't which is of course what everyone tells you when you're young if, if you don't have to do this don't do it because basically you're living the life of a professional gambler and you don't get to you don't get the security but right. you do get this i think sort of incredible accelerated sort of spiritual path of trying to uh trying to identify what your value is and what your worth is on the planet because if it exists only in the outside where people are going to say yes and no to you you're done for right because there's too many no's right i mean my career looks like a lot of yeses but there are it's nothing in comparison to the no's you're a so yeah uh, you know, you have to, it, it just constantly brings you back to that sort of place when you get knocked down and you feel like crap uh, and no, no, oh, you know, I'm not good enough. They don't love me. It's never going to happen. Blah, 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 all the stuff, all the negativity. And in order to get up and survive, you have got to dig deep and figure out, you know, what your value is in a more immediate way. Does it feel like though, I don't, I think I know the answer to it, but does it feel like a competition to you or to, like what you know versus other actors yeah i think i certainly felt that way for a very long time and i still feel that way really you no know, i mean i think so yeah i mean you know i auditioned for something recently I think you know my audition life is very very scarce at the, at the moment um but every once in a while there's a little flurry and uh there there was a flurry some months mm -hmm. back where there were like four auditions in a row and they were all good uh, right. I was interested in all of them. They were all very different. It gave me an opportunity to stretch myself a little bit. And I was, I was inspired. Um, and there was one audition that I did and, and I, I knew it was good. You know, I, right. I, I knew that I, I knocked it out of the park, but I also knew they weren't going to give it to me because I knew that there was an A-lister that they, that would get the job. And I said at the time to my loved, my loved ones, I said to Daniel, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not going to get this. They're going to give it to so-and-so. And they did. Hey, it's Michael Jammin. If you like my videos and you want me to email them to you for free, join my watch list. Every Friday, I send out my top three videos. These are for writers, actors, creative types. You can unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm not going to spam you. And it's absolutely free. Just go to michaeljammin.com slash watch list.
Yeah. And that's heartbreaking. And it's, it's out of your control. Yeah. Yeah. And it's out of your control. And that's sometimes that comes from the network or the, you know, whoever, because it's so strange. They really think, um, they really think that having a bigger star attached, even for a guest role, they think it's going to bring in eyeballs. It never does. I'm not <laughs> sure it ever does. Think. And sometimes those, yeah, I, I don't want to say that sometimes those performances aren't as good. I, that's not fair to say, but sometimes they aren't. And also, you know, but but I'm trying to think of, you said something before about about how I, how Janice expanded into a, yeah. into a, a you know, a, a, um, a series long role. And yeah. I, I often kind of refer to myself as a side door actress you know i usually get in the side door i don't usually come through the front door i don't usually come you know for the for the series lead but frequently i have managed to slip in that side door in an interesting way and out of it has come a really wonderful opportunity so for instance um the parent trap Mm -hmm. when i got that script i wanted that movie and i thought here's this camp counselor and I thought, oh no, they're never gonna give this to me. I'm in no way butch enough for this role. Really? I can see the person they're gonna pick in my mind. But I thought, I've got to give them something. I just have to go, I have to go, because I wanted it. And I thought, I'm just gonna do something nobody else will do, because that's what I'm gonna do. So I, I put my hair in these pokey little weird braids and I put on like, I think I had on overalls and a, and a coach whistle. Like I dressed up like a, like a dorky sort of, um, you know, camper. And I played, and I auditioned for this role with like a serious side sort of sibilant S situation right. where I was like a slightly odd, perhaps I never grew up and I had this very serious speech impediment sort of thing. And it was a crazy idea. And the, the casting director looked at me, like tilted her head out from behind the camera and said, I think I need to take you to the director. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't know what to do with it. And that's so funny. They didn't know. So I came, I went in to meet Nancy Myers and Charles Shire. And I, and I, I was still in my crazy outfit. I was still uh-huh. ready to go. And he leaned over to his wife at the time and he said, does she really talk like that? <laughs> And she said, no, it's, she's Janice. (laughs) She, does she talk like Janice? (laughs) So anyway, I got that role, but they didn't let me play her that way because it was Disney and they didn't want, um, you know, any kids who might have a sibling to feel upset about it. So I had to lose that, but that's how I got that movie. By going on a limb. Crazy walked out there like a nutball. But tell me about like from your from where, tell me about from where you sound like what's the what's etiquette on set for an for an actor or even or a guest actor like what is it what does it look like to you? What is etiquette on set? Uh, um, like what are you supposed to do? How are you supposed to behave? Well, that's interesting. I think when I, immediately like I I feel like I go through this rolodex of images in my mind from mm-hmm. the sets where nobody talked to me to the sets where I didn't have a proper dressing room to the sets right. where I was nervous because it was such a well-oiled machine and I was slipping in to mm-hmm. you know and then I thought and then it, it takes me right to kind of my first series job where I felt really sensitive about the guest cast and I always invited them into my dressing room and gave them a place to be. Right. Um, so as a result of some of the as things that I experienced being... along the way. It's hard. It is hard. You're stepping into a job that's already there and it's yeah. hard. I mean, it's like you're already insecure and some now people, on top of that. Yeah. Some people say they really don't like that role of being a guest on a, on a series. I do really like it. I'm, I, I, I don't feel so, Maybe it's because I've done it so much that I don't feel so threatened by it. I mean, the first uh-huh. time I did it was on Seinfeld, and uh, and I and I there was no like it, when it was lunch they all scattered like the lights right. got turned on in the kitchen and the cockroaches around like they were they were all gone. It turned out they were up in the writers' room having like a catered lunch, but I I didn't. No one told me anything, and I didn't know anything. It was my first you know, guest role on a, on a big series like that. And I was really lost. And then I had to ask somebody and they said, Oh, you just go down to the commissary, you know, but somebody, and I didn't have a dressing room on that show. So, well, you uh, had had some kind of changing room. I must have, but I did, it wasn't quite, quite, you know, what I, what what I had later on. So uh, anyway, but it was just one of those odd moments where I like, there was no one telling me what to do or where to go. And so there's that. And then, 
I don't really know. How, what is the etiquette? Like, you just have to be ready to take care of yourself. That's it. You got to right. be ready to feed yourself, hydrate yourself, show up when they need you, go back to your room and pull it together in the in-between and like right. manage your fear or your insecurities or whatever. So when you get back down, but you know, I, I it's funny, like, yeah, I don't know. I have found myself in all kinds of circumstances where I've felt. Did um, you prefer more multi-camera, which is shot, people don't know, shot, shot live in front of a studio audience or, or single camera? I, I like them both. But it's a, like, it's a different like way of performing, don't you think? Or no? I mean, how does it? How do you approach it, whether it's single or multi? Uh, well, yeah, single camera is something. I mean, multi multi camera. I've done a lot more of, I would say, and and uh, and I've you know I really enjoy it because it's like live theater, and you've yeah. got the response of the audience, and it's just that adrenaline rush of everything happening in the moment and changing mm -hmm. things in the moment and fixing things in the moment, and it can be you know, and that's really exciting. And that's how I started. I mean, you know, the new show was my first big show and it was sketch comedy in front of a live audience. And right. it was, it was, you know, I earned my stripes in doing that. Um, and then, you know, but then when I did Californication, I, I absolutely loved every moment. It's a lot longer, you know, your schedule's a lot yeah. more unpredictable. You're there yeah. at four in the morning or you're leaving at four in the morning or whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, you basically have to hang your life up on a hook and say, I'll, it's I'll see you when it's done. Yeah. And how, do, how what about working with directors who aren't who really can't know don't know how to talk to actors? What's that like for you? Um, usually, I get fired when that happens. That what? has happened. I've gotten fired mean? a few times. Well, I've been fired from a few jobs in my life um, because they and, couldn't they didn't know how to talk to you. And what do you mean they couldn't well, get the performance out of you? Or what? Uh, I mean, each one each circumstance is different. But in the in the most recent one was a situation where I was hired. I was hired without auditioning and I was told before I was hired that they were concerned. They wanted to offer me the job, but they were concerned about hiring me mm -hmm. because they the character was similar to Janice. Right. And I said, oh, well, I mean, you know, I can play any number of women from any number of boroughs and I can give them all that <laughs> flavor. But of course, I'm not going to play Janice. That's not going to happen. I mean, right. they wouldn't want me to do that. Right. Right. So I arrived, I had been on the East Coast on vacation with my family and I arrived back and it was end of August. I went straight to the job. Oh, no, I got the script. And the first the first line for my character was oh, dot, 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 my dot, 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 God. That's not good. And I How thought they, do they that? can't really want that. So yeah. I they can't, they can't do that. I don't know if you you had the distinct pleasure of watching the television show Mob Wives, but I was a no. bit of a fan of Mob Wives, fantastic reality show. And uh, and there's a, a woman on that show. Her name is Drita Devanzo. And she is like, you know, mob adjacent. And mm. I love her. So I decided I'll play Drita Devanzo. That's what I'll do. That's what they'll get. Mm -hmm. So I went in and I we had the table read and all the people were there. And it, there was a strange vibe on the set. And then we went into rehearsal. Mm -hmm. Then it came to network run through day, which is Wednesday. And we did the run through. And this director who um I don't want to say too much about him, but I will say he's very, he was very tall and, uh, and mm, yeah, he, he was a comp complicated character and he came <laughs> over and he looked down at me from his like perch of six foot four and he said, they're not happy. Right. And I said, what? And he goes, they're not happy. And I said, why? And he said, because you know, you're not giving them what they want. Just Janice. And I said, what, what do they want? And he said, you know, and I said, I, I'm sorry, I don't. And he said, well, they want Janice. Oh, God. And I said, well, they can't have her. Yeah. You know, I mean, and then I and then I had to get like, I had to get a little brave and like crane my neck to look up at him and say, look, I didn't just get off the bus. This yeah. character is, you know, created from another show. This is, we're on the Warner yeah. Brothers lot. Go ask yeah. them if change yeah. his character's name to Janice and pay me a little bit more and then you can have what you want, but yeah, you can't get the rights to her. play her, call her this and play me. The... Anyway, then I went into wardrobe and I said, listen, don't work hard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be fired today. And they said, wow. no, you can't be fired. They can't do that. They can't ask you to do that. That's not possible. I'm like, can't watch yeah, you watch well, me. And then I, I had to go do a, a, a radio a podcast about voiceover, drove across town, went into these to see these folks to do their podcast and i said hey you know i'm probably going to get a call because i'm probably going to get fired and anyway yeah. sure enough they fired me 
by the end of that day because I wouldn't play that character. And that's surprising because you're supposed to be as writers, you're not supposed to, you're supposed to know that you don't do that. Like, like you have to have some shame. <laughs> it was cuckoo. So yeah, uh, so things have happened to me. I don't want to, I don't want to badmouth directors because I'm still trying to be an actor. <laughs> well, but it's not that I'm just saying, no, like, because directors have two jobs. They have to work the cameras and they also have to get the performance out of the actors. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I see some, and it's rare to find a director who really could do both perfectly, as amazingly well. It's hard because yeah. it's two so different skills. And sometimes I see a director talking to us like, oh no, that's not, that's not going to work. You're not, that's yeah. not going to get the performance out of them. I think I've been lucky that I've worked on so many great sitcoms and those, most of those directors are just, you know, like they know that genre so well. Yeah. I think I have also worked on shows where somebody um, is a little bit newer and they feel like there's a lot they should be doing in the way mm -hmm. of, the, of directing. And so they're kind of going overboard, like tweaking a lot of things that might not necessarily need tweaking. And that can be a little frustrating. Yeah. But, you know, I'm so blessed because working on Friends was just the most incredible, creative um, understanding and agreement that that existed between you know, from all angles. And so yeah. the actors had a lot of free reign to, to, to work things out, to suggest things, to offer things. I had come from a show before that where I used to joke that they should, in the credits, they should call me Clay Pigeon because, you know, a clay pigeon that you throw up and shoot at, right? Because uh -huh. every time I would say the slightest thing, I would say, would it be okay if over here, instead of if I said and, no, no. Okay, and that's the way it was. There was just actors, yeah. shush, do your job, read every word on the page, don't change anything. And right. sometimes it's like that. Right. But I have to say, I walked onto that friend set and I could breathe. And right. so much great comedy came out of that yeah. environment, that a slightly freer, more respectful kind of exchange of an environment. I mean, yeah, but I know- There's a reason why it was a great show. I mean, that show, it was amazing how they kept on reinventing. Yeah, I was like, how, you know, yeah it was obviously an amazing show it's amazing um wow but so what and so what advice then i guess i guess i guess what do you give to you know so mm. you have two beautiful we talked about this yesterday you have two beautiful daughters like I do. and this is this is a problem because they're <laughs> because you have beautiful daughters that's a problem in, in and of itself <laughs> and then but and one is wants to get into acting and, and it's like yeah like we talked about you can't you can't discourage that because you know what the word is because you got to live that life. Uh -huh. Like it's not that's not fair. <laughs> so what do you what do you tell her? What do you you know? Um, I think, you know, when when what has saved me over so many years of staying in the business and obviously longevity is often, you know, half or more than half the battle because mm -hmm. there are these so many long stretches where nothing is happening so yeah staying in the game obviously i you know i didn't i didn't get friends until i i mean i'd already been acting for a long time yeah. when i got that job uh so you have to have staying power and in order to have staying power from my perspective you have to have other things in your life that make you, that let you know that you have, you're living a life of purpose. Because mm -hmm. if acting and performing is the only thing that defines your purpose, in my opinion, you're in trouble. Yeah. You have to, and whether that is this, and I used to tell, you know, again, I've spoken to actors of every sort of age from little to not so little um, over the years. And I used to say to the little ones, Do, if you know how to sew a button on, teach someone else how to sew a button. Mm -hmm. Or if you know how to make a pie, make a pie and give it to somebody. I don't care what it is. Just whatever else you have, whatever other abilities you have in your kit bag that involve being purposeful, um, that don't involve the mother may I game of, can I take two steps forward? Yes. No, yeah. you didn't raise your hand. Go back seven steps. You know, uh -uh. it's constantly asking for permission. When I was on just shoot me for some reason, we did the, the, uh, the acting, the auditioning in the same bungalow as the writers. So I'd come to you know, work, I'd go to my office and then there'd be a long row of actors auditioning. <laughs> and it was, I, it was always heartbreaking to me. It was like, yeah. because you'd have whatever, 10 actors for this part and probably three, three could probably do it. And only one would get it. And the other two would go home thinking, what did I do wrong? Or why can't I get the break? Well, because only one person can get it. That's the problem. 
Yeah, only I, you know, I we used to refer to it a lot of us when I we were back like in my early twenties, and we would go all through all the processes and all the hoops and all the rings mm-hmm. of fire, and then you get down to the network and they bring three actors to the network and you know they've already chosen one so basically it's just a gladiator mm-hmm. sport because people have to die <laughs> there has to be blood on the floor yeah. or, or it didn't happen so you know we always knew that we were there as a human sacrifice some of us mm-hmm. yeah and it's hard that, so yeah, yeah. so you have to do? just find ways to have other worth and to feel yeah. Yeah. And make I your own opportunities, I guess. Make your own opportunities. I mean, that's the I guess the beauty for this new young younger generation is that there are so many ways of creating now and creating content now mm-hmm. um that we didn't have, you know. I right. mean, we had like, you know, we had we had movie we had like home movie cameras back mm-hmm. when I was 19, 20, you know, mm-hmm. but that was about we couldn't edit them. Uh right. so so, you know, now there's just so much opportunity to make content or even at the very simplest level if you're an actor, you know, to get people together and sit around and read something the way we used to do it's like let's read yeah. a play or you know like let's just do anything so that we feel like we're making we're making something you know yeah. even if it's going to be gone by the time we we're done so i don't know yeah. it is it is not an easy road but it's you know you know it you know it michael i i, I know it um i still think actors have it a little harder than writers but, but yeah. maybe, maybe it's well we can't do it alone yeah well that's true um but i yeah it's it's just it's a hard difficult but i have a lot of respect and especially oh god <laughs> you know uh I've, I've worked with actors i've directed actors and then as you saw when because you came to my show and i was like oh this is so much harder than, I thought than it looks <laughs> this is so much harder i have such new respect uh after doing it myself it's very yeah. hard i think they make you know like certainly in some of the directing programs now they make the directors take acting classes just the way they make you know i don't know football players I think you take should. ballet i don't know what it is but but yeah so so uh uh i think it's a good it's a good move i mean uh, my my daughter um Gemma, who just came out of a four-year screen acting uh, major mm-hmm. at college, had a chance to do everything from you know acting to writing to directing to editing to all of it. I, and I think that's what an incredible opportunity mm-hmm. to start out your your career having this kind of you know fully dimensional experience of what it is to make to make something. I uh, think yeah, I say that I think actors need to study writing. I think writers need to study acting, and I think directors have to study both. You know. Yeah. You have to know how to converse with both those people. Yeah, so I think that that sounds like a better a better world. Let's let's live that in that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that make believe world. Wow, it's just so interesting to hear your side. I don't know. It's just to hear your side of the process of what it's like. You know, I don't know. Do, do you feel? I guess we talked about it a little bit, but um, yeah. I mean, how much when you're on set do? You, because you have to talk to, I'm, I'm babbling here, but you have to talk to, you have to please the director. Mm-hmm. You also have to know, especially if your guests are, you're really there to serve the main actor, the main yeah. character. You're really there to serve them. It's yeah. their story and not make it about yourself. And um, mm. and then also, if there's a showrunner, you, you may you may begin conflicting notes from the director versus the showrunner. And, that, mm. and the show, you know, how do you, how do you navigate all that? Um... I think like it, it, you know, it's a great improvisation and part of the acting job is the material that you're given and, and the job you're given to do. And the other part of the acting job is the rest of what you just described. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just, you know, uh, you have to, you have to improvise your way through those conversations, through those moments where someone's talking to you and telling you something you're not sure you know what it is that they want to they're mm-hmm. asking you to do but you don't want to seem like somebody who doesn't know what they're asking you to do it's all acting i kind of think yeah. from the minute you get there till the minute you go and obviously i i mean I, i'm saying that slightly sarcastically because not it's not true in the best of circumstances you can relax into your sort of authentic self or your authentic experience there might be somebody there who is generous or kind or or you can laugh with or you can roll your eyes at if you're if everything's you know um a jumble or confused because there's a director who feels like you're not getting it or anything anything is possible you know i mean i i just saw meryl streep uh like a clip of an interview with her Uh and she's saying oh well you know sometimes they tell me um to to where my mark is and that i should move to the left 
and then inevitably I'll go right. And sometimes <laughs> I do that three times, even after the director has told me not to go to the right. Because, yeah, I'm like that. I forget things, you know. <laughs> I'm not perfect. And so oh. she was really funny just kind of bu busting the myth of, you know, so she wasn't being willful. She was like, I forgot. No, she just forgets. She just does what she, she's in the moment. She's acting. Right. She does. And I and I can do that, too. You know, I uh, when you said you were a fan of Dream On, and I was, too, yeah. of course. And working with Brian Ben Ben, I mean, that guy never missed a mark. He he knew I, we made a movie together in New York years oh. and years ago. That's how we first met. And right. uh, it was called, I well, I think it's called Divine Obsession. I think it was called God's Payroll. And maybe at the end, it's called Divine Obsession. I can't remember. But anyway, I think it was it was my first movie, and mm. uh, and Brian was uh, such a technician, and he knew his mark, and he never missed it, and he it, it was incredible. I would watch him, and I inevitably I would step too far, or not step far enough, or lean over to the right, or walk in the wrong direction, or what yeah. I mean, all kinds of things. And that guy was like a machine. He knew exactly where he needed to be, and he got there every time. And uh, and so working with him on Dream On was also wonderful because he was just he's so so great it's at so hard because you have to be in the moment but you also have to be thinking of the note you just got yeah and you're blocking and also but also forget all that because you need to be in the moment yeah. oh and, and also what am i supposed to say and when you're doing a, a sitcom you know they you, you you run through the thing you run through the scene you rehearse the scene then they send you away then they bring down the, the stand-ins then they block the scene and they put all the marks down then you come back and the stand-in has like 27 seconds to say to you mm -hmm. when you walk in your marks over there and when you step across the stage it's over there and when you make it to the couch you're going to see there's a mark that's right underneath the last the back left leg of the couch that's where your left foot goes it all happens so quickly and i yeah. when, when people start talking to me like that i'm like uh-huh 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 and i just think i hope i remember what she said wow and then especially on a multi-camera show if a joke tanks the writers will run into the set, say this in line instead. And you're, but I, I just remember, I just remember <laughs> right. the other Now one. there's a new one. Get ready. Go. And some people yeah. freak out. You know, I mean, you know this also in the, in the, in the land of animation, because, you know, we, I saw it happen when we were working together um, on one of those shows where uh -huh. somebody came in not really understanding what yeah. what that world looks like and how quickly things get thrown at you and mm -hmm. how how fast paced it is and like yep. do it again but 10 pounds heavier do it again but now her, mm -hmm. hair, her face is blue you know whatever yep. she, stuff happens quickly yeah and, um you know and and some people freak out and and then seize up there's not a lot of time yeah it, that's another thing so not a lot of rehearsal at least on the shows that i do it's not a lot of rehearsal <laughs> Do you? What, is it different for you? It's more no. like you're hired. Go, go, and yeah. go. Yeah, but it's yeah. I mean, you know when it's fun, it is the most fun. Absolutely, the most fun. Yeah, that's a, that's the thing. When I was doing directing for the other voiceover, if I knew an actor wasn't going to get it, uh, like that you couldn't do it, I'd say, okay, let's do it three different ways, three different ways, and thank you so much because you just don't, you know, yeah, you don't want to embarrass yeah. them, you don't want to yeah. hurt them. And you just know you're going to recast it later. You know, yeah. that's yeah. hard. That's hard. Uh, it doesn't happen a lot, but sometimes it does because you don't audition. You just bring, you bring people in. <laughs> you bring you people know? in. They come in, and hopefully they can do it. And and yeah, I don't know. I don't know that. I mean, I find that to be the most fun. I love that world. And uh -huh. when I started out in animation, um, working for Rankin Bass, we would do these table reads because it was a fixed cast, right? There were like six of us or five of us. I was the only woman. And mm -hmm. uh, and we'd have these table reads for each script and they'd give us all a chance to audition live for the new characters. So I was able to audition for male characters and the men oh, were wow. able to audition for female characters. And wow. we could all audition, audition for the cyborgs and the, and the you know, whatever, the little martian you know creatures or whatever the genderless creatures i i don't know it was it was uh it was a great opportunity and really one of those things where you're like okay uh you know just just go don't be afraid give it a try you're going to get it or you're not going to get it yeah yeah how interesting that you're so much yeah. fun yeah. wow maggie thank you this is a lovely talk well i want to make sure i want to plug everything you're doing I, we talked about it but we can let's remind everybody let's so. see um i what's going on i'm heading to new york in january to do a live event for at the friends experience at the end of january and yes. i'm not going to say too much about that but i am doing that for um for a day uh, on the i think the 24th of january but how so can I'm they find about that 
how do they find it if they want to go see it? How do they find it? Oh, that? I think it's a prime. I think it's prime. Oh. I think you can. I think uh, it's a press kind of thing. But I'm excited to go. It's a friends of friends event, right? <laughs> um, I, I don't know. Maybe it, it, I don't. I'm not sure. I can't say much about it because I don't know everything yet. But I am going to do that. Um, I have two sort of indie projects that are that are in the possible works in the next year, which is nice. Um, so if those things you want to talk true, about that or no, I don't think I can talk about them yet. If, oh. if those if they come true, um, okay. then 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 we'll see. One of them, I will say, is uh, working with a really wonderful young director from from France. Her name is Charlotte Gabri, and she did an incredible short, which I highly recommend Friends fans go and find. It's called The One Who Never Saw Friends. It's oh, wow. I, I think you can find it now online. It's in French and it's a f brilliant and hilarious short about um, these people on the day of their wedding when the groom discovers that the bride has never seen the show and and, and everything <laughs> falls apart um, in this crazy and epic way. So I, I hope to be working with her this year. And um, so that those things are kind of hovering. And I'm, I have a children's book that's going to get finished this year that I'll be yep. self-publishing. So uh, yeah, if you guys follow me at goldenbridgechoir.com, um, I'll send out big mailings through my mailing list when those things happen. What else is going on? I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's all it's all up in the air, Michael. That's the beauty that's, of the creative life. Who the hell knows what's next? That's what it's like being an artist. Yeah, that's right. Thank you so much. This is uh, this is I don't know. This is I, I this is an honor having you here. Uh, thank you so much for. Talking. I am so honored to hang out with you and talk to you. You know, I love you so much. And, yeah. Um, I've you know, I, Michael. Mm. You're, is one of the people I'm now I'm talking to the audiences if yeah. you're not here. So you're one of the people who has given me work more than one time in this industry. Yeah. And I am tremendously grateful for those opportunities. Both of them were so much fun. And they were such great opportunities for me. Um, and I look back at them with incredible fondness. And, uh, and I absolutely love the work that you're doing now. And just seeing you on stage reading your stories is uh. so powerful and so emotional and so funny. And brave and i've said it all to you in private but i'm saying it publicly yeah um, thanks for having me thank you so much don't go anywhere uh because we want to talk to you when we're done with this all right everyone thank you so much for listening uh yeah again you can follow me on social media at michael jammin writer and uh what else oh yeah free our my free newsletter is at michaeljammin.com uh, watch list all right everyone till the next episode thank you so much and uh yeah keep writing okay this has been an episode of Screenwriters Need to Hear This with Michael Jammin. If you'd like to support this podcast, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing this podcast with someone who needs to hear today's subject. For free daily screenwriting tips, follow Michael on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Michael Jammin Writer. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Phil A. Hudson. This episode was produced by Phil Hudson and edited by Dallas Crane. Until next time, keep writing.